This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Mavericks. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, and we got a full house today. We got Evan Grant, who's back from his many wanderings. Uh, we've got David Moore. You'd be wandering too if you had to listen to you once a week. Oh, good comeback. <laughs> that was so a real zinger there for you, but not a zingus either. Shut up, because today is your lucky day. I'm going to buy you one. That's right. It is. It is. It is by Kevin Lunch Day, and and uh, and we got Benjamin on the boards in there. Hi, Benjamin. Benjamin, say hello to everybody. Hello, hello, hello. There's Benjamin. Always great to have him here. Uh, and joining us on the on the our uh, hotline, we're going to call it a hotline. No. Yes. With Brad, it's a hotline. With Brad, is Brad Townsend the one and only? Uh, the, our, our beat guy on the Mavericks. Uh, basically, he's our Dirk beat guy. Uh, he has written about Dirk. He has written, I think, at this point, six thousand four hundred and twenty-six stories about uh, Dirk Nowitzki and uh, and the fact that this was his last season. Uh, so, Brad, it's great to have you on. Thank you. Is that all you got to say? And that's it. <laughs> that wind well, up. I mean, that's a, all you're coming back with. I oh, mean, you have a question. It, <laughs> Wow. Is this how you talk to all the talk show hosts? Well, I mean, I almost fell asleep when you talked about how much work I've been doing. I was like, you're right. I'm tired. (laughs) It's like talking to Greg Popovich. Is there there a question here? Yeah, but part of that is that you're also old, Brad. This is is true. Feeling older by the moment. And, and, I mean, you're, you're preparing for high school graduation, which is, as we all know, not you. Yes. You're not graduating, but the twins are graduating, and that's that's a lot of stress. A lot of stuff going on yes. in that Townsend household. Hey, by the way, Brad, last week after I left you there in San Antonio, so after the game, it was it was I don't know, close to midnight, eleven thirty, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I, I had not eaten dinner, and so uh, uh, here we go. So I asked Brad. I said, "Where where should I go that that would be open a Mexican food this late at, at night?" And so Brad finds me, Mi Tierra, which I had been to before, but I had forgotten about. And How can you forget about oh Mi Tierra? It's an icon. It's an icon. Yeah, I've, it's I've not an icon. It's, it's an iconic restaurant. It's not an icon. No, it's an icon of it is, San Antonio. It is, it is not a person. Okay. Uh, but anyway, well, let's move it's on. It's animate to me, Brad. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. It was awesome. a great experience. But Brad, Brad said he was tempted to to, to go there with me, and I, I would not let him because Brad was driving back from San Antonio back to Dallas that night. And Brad, did you make it all the way back? Only made it to Waco, two uh, thirty a.m. Checked in the hotel, asked for an eight thirty wake up so I could get to Mass. Uh, Exit interviews the next day, uh, but instead of an 8.30 wake-up call, I got a 5.30 wake-up call. And the young lady at the front desk said, oh, I'm so sorry, I hit the wrong button. 
So uh, that's kind of how that went. But thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, Five thirty, wake up. Did you go ahead and get up then and and, and come back? Oh, of course, of oh course. I'm all about the Dallas Morning News. I got up and started working. Atta boy, people. I just want to let you know this too can be you if you enter into. The lucrative and glamorous life of professional print and web journalism. Yeah, that's it. You can drive to Waco, get a 5.30 wake-up call, and get back to Dallas. Yeah, and he was back, and he was back for the uh, exit interviews with the Mavericks. Um, the, that was uh, more good stuff. So, Brad, uh, the, uh, the, the coverage of, of Dirk and, and leaving, and you, and you were able to get in your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about the story that you, you when, when uh, you were riding the bus over with the team to uh, Dirk's last game there against the Spurs. Um, Donnie Nelson steered you uh, towards something that uh, it didn't work out right at the moment, but it did work out eventually in a, in a nice story. Tell us a little bit about how the Mavericks – finally locked up their decision to take Dirk Nowitzki and where it was that they, they did that? Well, it was, uh, I guess Donnie Nelson calls it the pillbox. It's called Freeman Coliseum, and it's an old, uh, really the first, the closest thing San Antonio had to a an arena until uh, Hemisphere Arena was built in the, uh, the, I guess, the early 70s or mid-70s, around the time that the Spurs came from the ABA. So anyway, Freeman Coliseum is literally a football field away from the AT&T Center, and as we're uh, getting closer to the AT&T Center, uh, Donnie is sitting in a row ahead of me and across the aisle from Holger. And uh, Donnie says, oh, we're almost there, and... uh, Turns to me and turns to me and says, "You want to go with us?" And I said, "What are you talking about?" And he says, "Well, Holger and I have not been back uh, the the pillbox, as he called it. That's where Dirk played the 1998 Hoop Summit, where he very famously, at this point, uh, now we know uh, uh, now now we know it is famous. But going into that game, nobody knew anything about him. Um, he played on the international team. He scored." 33 points and pulled down 14 rebounds and the rest is sort of history, but I didn't realize it was at the Freeman Coliseum. So I said, well, yeah, heck I'd love to go over there with you. And it took a while. They had to find somebody to uh, uh, find the keys to the place. And uh, so I grabbed Vernon Bryant, uh, our photographer, and uh, it was a, it was a great kind of step back in time. The, the one downer was that the they couldn't find the lights. They couldn't get the lights turned on in the arena itself. So we stepped into the arena, and it was dark. You could you could make out stuff, but it wasn't great for photo taking. Uh, but then we went into the locker room, and uh, and Donnie was Donnie was an assistant coach. He was the assistant coach for the international team because of his international connections, and that team had tra- had uh, trained all week in Dallas. Uh, very fortuitously, as it turns out, for the Mavericks. And, and really the reason it was in Dallas is because of the location uh, for international travel. All these kids flew in from around the world, and then they were going to train for a week in Dallas and then go down to take a Southwest flight down to San Antonio to play in this game. Did the Mavericks uh, – uh, how much of a, of a lead on Dirk did Donnie have at that point? He – he told me that the, the only thing he had ever heard 
of Dirk, and it was uh, it was Scotty Pippen and Charles Barkley. He, uh, Donnie was at a game. Uh, he was getting ready. He was preparing the Suns draft board at that point. He was still with the Suns, and he heard uh, Scotty and Charles talking about this kid from Germany that they'd played against. They were butchering his name. They they couldn't get his name right. Uh, but uh, and, and Charles talked about it uh, at Dirk's, uh, as it turned out, his yes. retirement ceremony. And uh, so Dirk lit lit him up. Uh, legend has it he scored forty something points. It, it seems to the legend seems to grow uh, by the year. But in any way, he definitely impressed them. And so Donnie and I think and then after that, Donnie watched some grainy film and just still didn't know. And so the first time Don. The next thing Donnie knew, he was coming over to the Mavs at midseason of that year. His dad brought him over. And uh, so, again, just total luck for the Mavericks. From the Mavericks standpoint, Donnie had been involved with the international team at the Hoop Summit for the previous two years. It had started in 1995. And so had he he remained with the Suns, clearly he wouldn't be giving Dallas the intel and also, he wouldn't have been at the Hoop Summit because the Suns went to the playoffs that year. So, a lot of a lot of stars lined up on this. And uh, and I was talking to Frank Zaccanelli yesterday. And uh, wow, a blast from the past there. Yeah, he was. Uh, as people may not remember, he was the managing partner uh, of the Mavericks ownership group when uh, when Ross Perot Jr. bought the team from uh, the Carters. But and they owned the team when. Uh, the decision was made to to um, to get to draft to trade for Dirk on draft day, and so Frank was telling me uh, that he remembers a, a, an urgent call from Donnie, telling uh, say, "Hey, you need to get over here now." Uh, and Donnie's dad, uh, Don Nelson, get over to the YMCA so we can watch this kid. And that was literally like the first, the second practice. They'd watched the first. Donnie had been through the first practice and said, "This this guy is all that." And uh, the first time Donnie met uh, Dirk was in the lobby of the Hyatt Hotel when Dirk and Holger flew in from Germany. And uh, Donnie was in the lobby waiting for him. He was the last player to arrive, and the other international players were up in the space ball, as Donnie called it, uh, having dinner. And so it was Donnie who took, who met them. They traveled, you know, from, they'd had several legs of their trip. They looked really weary. And uh, so Donnie took them upstairs. They wouldn't let Holger come upstairs. And so Donnie being the, you know, gracious person he is, uh, felt bad about leaving Holger down there. So he took Dirk up to the space ball, went down and then bought Holger dinner and beer. And so and that obviously is a relationship that uh, uh, certainly worked out for the Mavericks. Did you get the impression then that Donnie had to talk his dad into taking Dirk, or was did, was Don going to go on go along with whatever they wanted to do, or what was the situation? Well, once Don came over and actually saw Dirk, uh, uh, Zach and Ellie was telling me yesterday they were trying to figure out all sorts of ways to uh, hide Dirk at that point. They, they knew that this they, – they didn't – in fact, Frank told me that they uh, tried to go out and, uh, uh, and, and took Holger out again while uh, the international team was in 
in Dallas and over many beers try to talk Holger into not letting Dirk play in that hoop summit. <laughs> so, yes, they realized that this was special and they didn't want, they realized they had a special talent here and they didn't want the world to see this. Was there a reason other than just saving money that they traded down? They, they, why didn't they just go ahead and take him when they had the chance instead of taking Robert Tractor right. Trailer and, and then trading down, I guess it was three spots, right, from six to nine? Uh, right. To, uh, what was the explanation for that? Well, they had very good intel that he wasn't going to go, uh, that he wasn't going to be taken in the top seven or eight. So, uh, in fact, uh, one of the pieces of key intel that they got was on a golf course someplace. So uh, they were rolling the dice a bit, but they felt very confident in uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how much sort of behind the scenes things go on with a draft and we're talking about it 1998 it's even more so now but to collect intel on the on a golf course that uh, i can't remember who it was i think it was uh oh yeah jason williams they they knew that jason williams was going to be picked in that seven to nine seven or eight range and uh and that was the last key piece of intel that they needed to to know that dirk was going to be available at nine well how much money do you think they saved themselves Oh my gosh, a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> well, right, I know, yeah, but they must have been awfully confident in that intel. But the shot, the thing is, as Donnie was telling me, that so the draft is is unroll is going on, and they had uh, Dirk and Paul Pierce in the top in their top three, and so it gets to nine, and Paul Pierce is still available, and right. they're they're completely confounded, and uh, and. Donnie says that uh, his dad looked across the table at him at the, across the conference table and and said, uh, "Do you know what we're doing here?" <laughs> I mean, I, I wrote it. In, I wrote it in that retrospective. I can't remember the exact words, but it's basically, yes, they were going to do this, but his dad wanted Donnie to understand the weight of the moment. Right, right. Because they knew that Paul Pierce was a plug and play. They also knew that Dirk was going to take a couple of years. And this is this is even if they were going to be able to talk Dirk into playing in the NBA immediately. Uh, if, you know, they, they knew it was going to take a couple of years of assimilating into the NBA and that they were taking a big risk, uh, their own. They were putting their own uh, necks on the line because, you know, the, the franchise had been struggling. It hadn't really taken a big leap forward under Don uh, and Donnie. And uh, but they they knew that the risk, or at least in their opinion, was uh, was worth taking. Well, people don't understand how big a risk it was at the time, too, because this was there have been very few international players. And, and while you point to a few who had success, Marshall, uh, many others did not. And, and there was right. and, you know, the, the Mavericks were criticized for several years locally, uh, and not just by media, but by uh, a lot of people around the league, because, again, some felt, well, just keep tractor-trailer, but then the other part was Paul Pierce. It's how in the world could you pass Paul Pierce, and 
and you look at their numbers on the first two years, uh, it was very close. The, the Mavericks did nothing. No, it wasn't close. Well, I, mean, I mean, Paul I mean, Pierce. Yeah. Like, oh, no, right. I mean, it, it was. It gave there was everyone a, ammunition to say this was a horrible deal. Well, there you was know, a, a long too much to risk. There was a long a debate though about the about the Paul Pierce Dirk Nowitzki thing for probably eight or nine years, ten years. Uh, sure. That you could have taken either one and you would have done well, but in the end, Dirk turned out the better player. Right. Well, in the morning news that whole first season, uh, I was talking to Mark Stein about this. He was our beat writer at the time. Uh, he, re- he remembers very vividly the morning news. Every once a week, they would run a chart of basically comparing uh, two, Dirk, yeah. to, Dirk to Pierce. So yeah. we were certainly, I don't know if we were doing Dirk a, a disservice, but we were certainly reminding people on a weekly basis uh, what was going on there. Okay. Um, can I talk? Well, if, I, if you have something to we're say. We're not sure. If it's something intelligent, go ahead. Okay, well, it's a little bit... Could you write down your questions ahead of time and slip them to me, and then I'll tell you whether you can ask those questions or okay. not. Okay. Um, Brad, what, I, what I'm really interested in is, um, because you have this relationship and because you have such, such strong roots with the Mavericks, and, and uh, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and just blow smoke at you, but, I mean, I, I think that Nobody in this department, nobody maybe in this building has a way of, of disarming people and, and, and bringing them into trust the way you do. I, I think you got a, a unique glimpse at Dirk, obviously, that fans didn't. Um, the video that you prepared and that you narrated on his hospital visit obviously brought, uh, brought Dirk to tears. I'm curious, um, when, when you saw that reaction during his final home game, kind of how that impacted you. And, and then I wanted to get in a little bit just to, you know, what it was like covering this kind of guy for, for real, well, for 21 years. Well, the way the video came together, I, I can't take any credit for the video. It, that was done. Uh, that was an in-house thing that the Mavericks wanted to do, but the issue they, but they wouldn't have to, done the, they wouldn't have done the video had it not been for Brad's story that he did. I guess that was three years ago, Brad. Was it um, about? Uh, it was around. It was just before Christmas, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and let me just, I, just in case anybody hasn't read it, and you really should, or actually you should watch the video. Um, Brad, you went on a hospital visit with Dirk. This is something he doesn't spend a whole. He hasn't spent a whole lot of time publicizing, and you got to see a side of Dirk. Um, well, I think that everybody probably realized was in there. But um, uh, a, a side of a professional athlete uh, that goes well beyond just trying to brighten people's day. Well, yeah, and it's what makes Dirk special. I mean, I'd, I'd heard uh, I'd heard for years that he'd been making this uh, visit to Children's uh, Hospital, but you know, you never saw any videos or. You never saw anything. The Mavericks never announced anything. There was, you know, nothing about it. Uh, one time there was a parent who, uh, in 2012, did a, vid- did a video uh, of uh, Dirk playing in the hospital uh, Nerf basketball on one of the visits with their son. And that's, that's kind of when I started asking through the Mavericks Media Relations Department, if Dirk would ever consider, I, I know how this is. Well, it took several years of asking and had a conversation with Dirk about it. He was, thought a lot about it. 
And as I try to tell him, if you know, if he does the story, it would shine a light on what's happening in that hospital, which is you know hourly miracles. And uh, and he agreed to do it. And uh, initially, the way it was going to be was I was probably going to spend an hour, maybe go in with him for a few patients. But it turned out, uh, as Dirk was, you know, I met him at the hospital. Dirk was putting on, outside each room, Dirk, depending on the illness of the child, you know, sometimes uh, he had to be really careful. Uh, he had to put on a mask and, and a cap and a gown. And I'm going in there with him. I'm putting on a mask and a cap and a gown. And Dirk is uh, pausing outside of each room. The the hospital coordinator would tell him he'd make sure to know the name of each child. Uh, and he would take in two presents to each and and uh, call and burst into the room and very joyfully and address them by name. And uh, it was quite it was quite a time. I mean, uh, it was amazing. And there were several times when I had to go out and uh, collect myself. So anyway, uh, you know, me having been the only person to in Dallas for media to to see Dirk in one of these uh, visits, uh, the Mavericks asked me to to write a little something and narrate it. And uh, you know, but I did not. They put together the video. They used you know, pictures that they had in-house, and I believe a few pictures that we, I took pictures that day, and, uh, but I had not seen the video, I had not seen, they emailed me the, the product, the final product that afternoon, but I chose not to watch it. And, so you didn't uh, watch it, you didn't watch it until it aired at the, at the arena? Correct. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we, so they play this, and, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I cringe. I don't like hearing my voice even when I'm I'm doing an interview with somebody and I play back the interview and I'm, you know, typing out the quotes, or I don't. I'm, I'm a newspaper person. You guys are newspaper people. Mm -hmm. Evan is somewhat of a media star, but I don't. Uh, I will you tell know. you, in this trio, Kevin loves to hear his voice more than anyone else, but go yeah. ahead. Right. And also loves to point out what he wrote. I, too, however, cringe when I hear Kevin's voice. <laughs> okay. But go ahead. Well, exactly. So I I look up at the video board, and I'm hearing my voice. I'm trying to tune out my voice, but I'm watching the, uh, the, the video uh, play out. And then as the video is finishing, I look back down, and across the court right in front of me, I see – Everybody, right? The, the entire arena arising, rising as one, and uh, cheering. And then I see Dirk, you know, bending over at midcourt, trying to contain his emotions and not being successful at it. And I'll tell you, we're not, you know, we're newspaper people. We're not supposed to be part of the story. I don't feel like I was part of the story. I mean, the, clearly the, the reception the reaction was to Dirk and to the kids. And, uh, but I will say that there's probably been maybe three goosebump moments in my career. And, uh, one of them was walking into Don Meredith's house and having him in Santa Fe, New Mexico and having him greet me by name. And, uh, that was one. And probably, and another was, uh, showing Craig Curry, his muffed punt 
on <laughs> video in 19, from his 1984 uh, Cotton Bowl, and then the other night. Um, so. Yeah, I will say this. I, I, I'm not gonna. You're not gonna say it, but I, I will say it for you. I think as as newspaper people, and particularly you as a storyteller, um, I feel like in situations where your words um, help move people emotionally, and I'm not talking so much about Dirk here, but but about the fans. I think we all do get some sense of fulfillment that that we've had um, some impact on somebody in in that moment, and. I just think it, it it's a, it was sensational. Um, I think it was great work by by the Mavericks to ask you to do that. I think it was a great narration on your part, um, and it it's a great it, it's just another great snapshot in what's a, a compendium of great snapshots of of Dirk's career. Um, I will talk about myself for just one second because I what I, a shock. I, you know, I, I I got an opportunity to do something like this 25 years ago with um, when I was in Florida and, and and was covering the Marlins and and clearly it wasn't an icon of Dirk's na- of Dirk's stature, but but the thing for me is to watch an athlete um, and at that point in time it was Jeff Conine who was the only recognizable name that the Marlins had go to Joe DiMaggio's Children's Hospital and visit with these kids without any cameras around. And spend time in the neonatal care unit, and spend time with kids who are having cancer, and invest time. Um, that's moving, and it, it's difficult just to watch it because you don't know how you'd react to dealing with kids who are who are dealing with the kind of challenges. And to see Dirk and, and see those videos of Dirk go in there and and just brighten people's day and 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 make. Uh, make the pain go away for a while. I, I, I know that's got to be something that moved you as well, Brad. Yeah, uh, a lot of things about that day. Um, you know, of course, I think about it every Christmas, but I think about it occasionally, you know, just out of nowhere. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'll never forget is the fact that um, – there was a seven-year-old girl, and she's quoted in the story, and her pictures was with the story in 2016, and uh, I was informed about two months after that story that she passed away. Mm. And she, her picture was shown on the video board the other night. And all of us that are on this, what are y'all calling this, a podcast, uh, we all have daughters. We all have kids. And uh, I just remember the day, that day with Dirk in 2016, going up the elevator with him. You know, he, you could tell he was preparing himself emotionally, right? Uh, he was pretty quiet. But as soon as he went into each room, he, he, he truly was Uncle Dirk. He, there was not a down moment. There, his emotions were, it was all about uplifting the kids. But as we rode down, you know, four plus hours later, as we rode down the elevator, he was quiet again. And then when he, you know, as I rode in 2016, when he got off the elevator, he was no longer Uncle Dirk. He was Dirk. Mm -hmm. And he was very uh, drained. And uh, he realized that he was going to go home to his three healthy kids. And these kids were going to be back in the hospital in the rooms at 
yeah, that's um, uh, it, 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 again, it's just the kind of thing that you do so well is tell those stories, and it's 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 difficult to to listen to sometimes. Um, but I think people need to hear them. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Brad, is and and I know you weren't always the beat guy on the Mavericks, but you were around this team a lot, and and as such, you got to witness both Dirk on the court, but also really get a a better sense of Dirk the personality. And and I, I just like you to take a minute to to tell us, you know, what it was like in those twenty one years of 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 covering him and what your memory of Dirk is beyond beyond what we just talked about. Obviously that's the enduring memory, but what you talk what you what you consider, you know, your memory of, of, of watching Dirk, the player, and the personality? Probably two things. Uh, the, the just the normalcy, <laughs> just uh, kind of the, uh, the daily interaction, whether it's um, cross, um, he's coming up the court and I'm going out to the court from shoot around or practice, and he's kind of, Kicking me with an elbow or making a comment about my shirt or what have you, uh, and that's the way he was. That's the way he's been. Uh, you know, with people, he just—he's just approachable. Just a, you know, for a guy that's made 250 million plus in his career, he's never changed from that standpoint. And you hear, you hear coaches and teammates and, and anybody who's come through the organization, whether it's travel secretary or uh, Lisa Tyner, who's been there uh, in the organization forever and really became his second mom, uh, realized uh, halfway through his first year, they found out he wasn't paying his bills and he, you know, didn't know how to open a bank account and all this stuff. But he never, during that 21 year period, he never changed. His bank account changed. He didn't change. And then uh, it's to stand up. The other thing is to, the fact that he's was a stand-up guy. Uh, win or lose, they certainly had some crushing <laughs> defeats, uh, most memorably the, uh, the Golden State, losing to Golden State in 07, and uh, losing the 06 finals after they were up 2-0. Always there, never without fail. Would walk in the locker room after the game, uh, after whether he sh- after he showered or whatever, turn and say you ready. That was his signal. I'm going to talk now. Y'all want to come over and hear me? But he was available. And you cannot put. There's no monetary or any kind of value that you can like uh, put on that. Or what that means to a franchise to have your best player, the face of the franchise, also be accountable. That's a huge word in sports that. Uh, that stars should take into account, but don't always. And so, and Dirk was, uh, in, in you know three decades of doing this, he's the most accountable athlete that I've ever met. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's one thing. Sometimes athletes, some athletes get it, some athletes don't. I think that it's not about talking to the media. You're talking to the fans. When when you talk to the media media is just your conduit to the fans and that's your accountability to the fans to, to to the people who support you and and who want to have answers 
because they're paying for tickets and they're they're watching you and they're paying for the for, for the merchandise and I, I think we've all had players like that who who we've dealt with over, over the course of our careers and it's made the the endeavor that much more fulfilling I, I'm probably with the exception of Kevin because everybody's hated him who he's come across um, but but it is you know when when a guy is accountable like that. Uh, that's one thing. Then to do it at a level that the Dirk did for a championship organization is, is something else. And and then when you add in, you know, the idea that this guy played 21 years in this town, uh, and nobody's ever going to do that again. You're not going to ever have another athlete that's going to play this long in this town. Um, I wrote something last night about Elvis Andrus. He's play. He's he's on his 11th season here. If he doesn't opt out of his contract, he's going to have a, a, a chance to have played at least 15 years for the Rangers. And I think that, that he's certainly not Dirk. He's probably not going to the Hall of Fame. He's not going to rank among the all-time leaders in hits the way Dirk does, did in scoring. But uh, when you get those opportunities and when fans get to grow up with him, with a player and, and, and see a player for a full generation uh, – and have that guy be as approachable as Dirk has been, as Elvis is with his hospital visits. Um, it, it's a real asset to, to both the organization and I think the community. And I'm sure you've come across those guys too, David. Yeah, uh, you know, with Dirk, uh, Dirk again, it was, you know, he he took his job and his obligation to the team very seriously, but he never really took himself seriously. I heard Mike Vick one time say, you know, you take your job very seriously, but yourself not at all. And I think that described mm-hmm. Dirk to it, too. And I think that's why, again, you know, he's not only respected in the way up, but, but you saw a level, he, he was really beloved. And, and for an athlete to be beloved, it, it's not just about winning a title, although if he hadn't won that title, it would have been interesting to see what the level of appreciation would have been. But... You know, because he did, and, and then all of the criticism he got through the years, uh, a lot of it unwarranted about how he wasn't tough. Well, he was one of those resilient players. Wasn't uh, tough or he was one-dimensional yeah. or this or but, that. But he's for a player of that ability, he was the most unaffected superstar I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is why you cross over and you're not just respected and loved but beloved. And I think Dirk was that. And he, and he gets up there and sings the worst rendition of We Are the Champions you could ever imagine. And, again, it's just easy to relate to him on so many levels because he's just such a big goofball. Yeah, you're, he's a goofball. And I think Kevin and I have had this. We, we had a podcast, I think, a, a year or two ago where we talked about who were the coolest athletes in DFW history. And, I mean, you know, you had a guy like Staubach who was Captain America, mm-hmm. and, and he's beloved here too. But yeah. – for me, and, and maybe it's because my time in Dallas kind of coincided with Dirk coming, and, and I was not really around him very much. But this, this to me, was, was what constitutes cool because he, he was approachable. He was the kind of guy that you said, okay, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to joke around with him. He was excellent at his job. And, and I think, Brad, you're telling me all of these things, you know, that, that, that go, you know, it goes beyond even what we could describe here. I, uh, the emotion in the arena uh, last Tuesday night was indescribable. And yet, uh, besides kind of the reaction to uh, the hospital video and then the actual announcement, Dirk 
sing very matter-of-factly, this is my last home game, and uh, that emotion. But it was everything in the arena leading up to it. It was all, it was well over 100, maybe even 200 Mavericks and AAC employees gathered in the in the arena parking lot basically to applaud Dirk as he walked into the arena as a player for the last time. And those are the things, those are just the, and it's just a, a, an organic, you know, uh, yes, there was some planning involved. They had to know when Dirk was going to get there. I know that uh, Dirk was, uh, he was stuck on the tollway because of a wreck, so people were in constant contact with him, but he didn't know exactly what, the greeting was going to be. Um, but it's just an organic outpouring of the way people genuinely feel about him. And I've gotten a lot of emails and people reaching out through Twitter. Uh, it was just a perfect night. The Mavericks did a great job that night. Yeah, that's one thing I, I do want to add, because I've had this conversation with some people about how will the Rangers handle the, the Beltray retirement, the Jersey retirement, and eventually the Hall of Fame thing. And I think they could have taken a, a lot of cues from Dirk. But the, the difference here is that the Dirk thing, like you said, people were greeting him before he played. And then the ceremony was after he played a game. And that makes a big difference. Uh, because I think, you know, when you start bringing guys back after they played, they come on in, in baseball, they come onto the field in the back of these cars, and it's all awkward. And there's guys sitting on the field. And it just seemed like what took place the other night was just perfectly timed, and it all worked out in in the best way possible. So um, uh, the only thing the only thing is that you had to share at least one of those nights with Kevin. True. That's the only bad thing. Yeah, Kevin, you you covered anybody come close? No, because I never had a beat that long. So. Well, but I mean, just in terms of personalities. No, no, no. I, I hate to do this because you hate this so much. But I, I, I mean, bring it up. But I, but I wrote a column today about the greatest athletes in Dallas Fort Worth history, and uh, and and Dirk's just a runaway winner for that. There, you know, even even and mostly because of longevity, because he spent twenty one years here, and the only one that came close in this market was Mike Madonna with sixteen. Right. Um, and, and Mike won a championship, but, you know, the, the stars are a little different from the, the Mavericks. They don't have the same star power uh, as, the, as the Mavericks have. Um, and it was, it was different from the standpoint of uh, – Mike's a really good guy uh, and, and loved in his community. But one of the things that Mike loved about the stars moving from Minnesota to Dallas was the fact that uh, he could blend in a little bit and wouldn't have to kind of shoulder so much of the celebrity that he had to in uh, Minneapolis. So it was a little different situation, uh, and, and, and not that, uh, you know, Dirk was certainly not a big-timer, but as Brad said, he understood his, uh, his roles and what he had to do. He was just always a regular guy, you know. Uh, when people would ask about Nolan Ryan, about what kind of uh, – what he was like, I said, to me the most appealing thing about Nolan Ryan was always that he was just a regular guy, uh, that you'd sit down and have dinner with him, sit down and have lunch with him. He was, uh, he was interested in what you had to say. He, uh, if, you know, you would, and, and that's just so different from most, you know, celebrity athletes who, who don't really care. Um, and, and Dirk was very much like that. I remember one time he came into our offices. This must have been, 
15 years ago for some kind of photo shoot. And <laughs> when he walked in, I turned around and looked at him. And the first, he looks at me and gives me this big goofy grin and shrugs his shoulders like, look, I'm here. You know, and, and any other athlete would have acted like, oh, my gosh, I can't even believe I had to come in here to do this, first of all. But the fact that Dirk would, would act that way. Uh, it was just always uh, – uh, a, a really great guy. I, I am really glad that they won the, the championship because of what David said. Um, you know, had he not won that title, I think things would be different. I don't think he'd still be here if they hadn't won that title. Uh, I really think that there there would have been so much. Uh, I don't want to say bad blood, but there there was. You know, and, and listen, that's part of the deal. You're, so much angst about chances missed. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you and trying to remake something. That's it's possible. It's, it's not our job. It's not our job to be cheerleaders. Right. Uh, it's our job to to you know feel like we have to hold people accountable a little bit. And, and you know, and the great thing about Dirk was, he he felt that way. He felt like he needed to be held accountable. Uh, he held himself accountable. Uh, I just never, I have never been around an athlete uh, like him. Not not someone of that stature uh, who. Uh, and I, and I thought that uh, Charles Barkley put it perfectly. He didn't say this the other night. He said he was the nicest man ever. Well, he's not the nicest man ever. He's, he's, a, great, he's a great guy. But what Charles said one night on the TNT set uh, with Kenny Smith, uh, he just said it very matter-of-factly. They were talking about, about Dirk, and he said he's the greatest combination of person and player ever. And, and Kenny Smith immediately said, I agree with that. And, and that is a remarkable thing uh, to have – Two athletes say that about another one um, because you, we know how athletes are. And uh, to concede that so readily to me tells you everything about Dirk. And what better thing could you say about somebody or certainly say about an athlete than that? Brad, last thing. Did, did, did you ever get a sense at, at any point in his career? Because, again, we're talking about the longevity with, with one franchise and uh, the, the narrative was much different on Dirk before the title. It was, can you win with this guy? Is he too soft? Is, you know, does he do this? Does he do that? And then he had a, a, a very public incident in his personal life. Uh, you know, right when I think there was more, the, the criticism was mounting more and more because the Mavericks hadn't done anything. Did, did you ever get a sense at that time, if he ever was going to leave, that would have been the time? Because I think so many athletes – uh, w- would have looked for a way out in that situation and said, hey, I, I just need a fresh start here. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, the opposite. Uh, it was shortly after that that he, uh, a couple of years after that, I think it was 2009, that he became uh, an unrestricted free agent. And there was a brief period where, uh, you know, people were genuinely wondering, hey, he might leave. Uh, but he went over to Mark Cuban's house, and <laughs> they had a very heartfelt conversation. Uh, and one of the things Cuban said to him was, "Wouldn't it be great if we could? Wouldn't it be great if we could pull this off and win the championship after everything we've been through?" And at that moment, that's when they, you know, they were going to go forward and they were going to do everything they could to maximize this. Dirk window, this Dirk window that had been wasted in 2006 and 2007. And, and you know, you're alluding to the Crystal Taylor thing. And uh, that's, look, you didn't see me bringing this up in any of our Dirk coverage leading to his retirement. 
I'm a little reluctant to talk about it now, but it, but it is a part of Dirk's history here. It happened during the playoffs. And unfortunately, you know, I, I was the reporter on our staff who was tasked to find out what the deal was with this. You know, how could it be that there was this uh, a woman living in Dirk's house who, you know, was engaged to Dirk, but that Dirk didn't really know everything they needed to know. And that was, uh, <laughs> you talk about challenging and uh, things you don't want to do as a reporter. We, you know, Dirk is a public figure, and this was going on during the playoffs, and it was conceivably affecting his play. And so we we covered this. I mean, I, you know, uh, I went to the prison in Beaumont and interviewed Crystal Taylor. And, uh, and yet here we are 10 years later, whatever it is. And Dirk has never held that against me. He certainly was not happy when all these things were being reported. It was certainly embarrassing, but you know, I think, you know, frankly, in large part through our reporting, we're the only one that talked to Crystal and did the background stuff on her. She was a shyster. I mean, she had tried to do this to other athletes, including uh, Tony Banks. And I talked to Tony Banks. And, you know, everybody realized that Dirk was a victim in all this. And if anything, that made Dirk more human. But the fact that he did not single me out or hold it against me or, you know, I'm not going to talk to this guy, uh, that says a lot more about Dirk than I hope it says a little bit about me too, but mostly says a lot about Dirk. Brad, this has been this has been great. We, um, I really was looking forward to having you on to talk about about this last week with Dirk and and, and everything that that you experienced because I I think it I, I think it means something to people because it is our job to take people behind the scenes and um, this was this was a story that was full of emotion and full of. Uh, and really full of, of good feelings for a lot of people. So um, thank you for joining us and, and, and spending this much time this morning uh, talking about this. Um, but we are we're going to run now to talk about the hottest team in DFW, which would be the team with a two-game winning streak, um, the Texas Rangers. Actually, a one-game winning talk streak. about the Stars. One game they're in the playoffs. Streak. No, the Stars, the Stars lost last night, so the Rangers. But they're in the playoffs. Yeah, well, who knows for how long. Anyway, Brad. Um, wow, that's nice. <laughs> Brad, it was uh, it, it was really nice. Um, thanks for joining us today. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you later. Thanks, Brad. And there goes Brad Townsend, and, and what a great job he did on Dirk. And, by the way, before we sign off on this, look, if you didn't get the Sunday paper and you missed out on, on the Dirk special section with the, um, with the oral history of Dirk that Brad did and, and several other stories that are in there that are, that are really solid, uh, not to mention the the ultimate shot chart of of Dirk's career um, that John Hancock did from our data staff, and lastly but certainly not least, what the amounts cover. to out out absolute artwork the mm-hmm. um, the the treatment that Michael Hogue did uh, to create a portrait of Dirk from headlines and photos. Uh, it, it, it's just the kind of thing that you I, I think you'd want to actually get printed on on photo paper and, and, and hang in your in, in your house somewhere if you're a Dirk fan. So um, hopefully you can still find those. 
anyway, um, that'll do it for the Mavs podcast today. Um, Kevin, let us eventually get in on, on this podcast. I think if we went back and, and viewed the tape to see how much time you spent talking, I spent talking, I was just asking questions. I didn't pontificate. Right well, pontificating is part of my job. Uh, anyway, we'll be back with the Rangers podcast in just a second. Thanks for listening to the Mavericks Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.